0: Well, Gresham Bible Church, it's great to be together. Different location, different time. Probably feels disorienting in some ways, but a good reminder that the church is a people, not just a place. So it's so good to see everybody that's able to be here today. Thank you for how you've been ministering to one another over these last two weeks, bearing with one another in love. Um, It's been beautiful and really encouraging to see. Uh, And also... How many, by show of hands, lost power for a significant length of time? I'm just curious. All right. Enjoy the electricity here, my friends. All right. Uh, If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, please turn to Psalm chapter 13. There's some Bibles there on the pew in front of you as well. What a week again to come out of, and a week that should whet our appetite to hear from our great God today from his word. So I'm curious. How many of you are familiar with the phrase or the idea, toxic positivity? Does that sound familiar to you? Yeah, a few of you. Okay, toxic positivity. Here's what I mean by that. Here's how it's kind of like a working definition. The pressure to only display positive emotions, suppressing any negative emotions, feelings, reactions, or experiences. Toxic positivity invalidates human experience and can lead to trauma isolation, and unhealthy coping mechanisms. If we're being honest, if you're being really honest, I bet toxic positivity can describe some of your tendencies and your experiences. Maybe how you grew up in your family of origin. Maybe in a church culture you experienced. Maybe you think following Jesus means that you have to have a smile on your face all the time Like, fake it till you make it idea, right? Our text today is going to challenge us about that. And it's going to challenge us about it, as we're going to see that toxic positivity is not biblical, and therefore it's not healthy for us, for our spiritual and emotional lives as people. And again, how and why can I say that? Because we're going to see it from the pages of Scripture here in a moment. So again, if you haven't done so, please have Psalm 13 open in front of you as we're going to continue in our series through the book of Psalms to start the year. And as Mark said, I mean, we just sang it, right? I was having a moment over here just hearing you all behind me sing the truth and the beauty, the reality of Psalm 13, singing it together. I bet you even like felt it as well. And what I mean by felt it is that Psalm 13 is a, a song, a prayer, a psalm of lament, right? And by lament, that means it's a prayer that honestly expresses pain, confusion, and sorrow, and even grief. Uh, this person named Darby Strickland, who's with the Christian Counseling and Educational Foundation, puts it this way about what psalms of lament are. Psalms of lament are, quote, open invitations for us to speak to God honestly. As we learn this, we become able to express how we perceive his care or lack of it. Lamenting takes faith, but it also builds faith. So in Psalm 13 today, we're going to see together and savor together that there's a process, there's a progression for our lamenting and that there's a sure foundation underneath our lamenting as God's people. So in other words, this is the big idea I'm going to be arguing for today that's directly on the pages of Scripture. God's people are to plant real tears, real tears from the brokenness in you and the brokenness around us in this world, real tears in the real gospel. So follow along with me now as I read aloud Psalm 13, This is God's word. How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemy say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. Would you go together with me to the Lord in prayer before we jump into Psalm 13. Father, we praise you today. For your steadfast love and your faithfulness, whatever laments we carry with us today, fix our hearts on Jesus. By your Spirit, open your word to us this morning, and open us to your word. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we're going to see three movements or progressions of lament in our text today. So first, in verses 1 through 2, we're going to see questions. Second section, it goes two verses at a time. Second section, verses 3 and 4, is supplications. And then lastly, in verses 5 and 6, we're going to see a declaration. Questions, supplication, declaration. So first, questions. And It's important as we come to God's Word today, come to the book of Psalms, that we have some context and to understand briefly how this book, and therefore how Psalm 13, like how it fits within the bigger story of Scripture because that informs our lamenting and the posture in which we come to it. So many of you know this, but if you don't, like young people, listen up. The book of Psalms were a hymn book and a prayer book for God's people in the Old Testament as they waited for the promised future king, for the Messiah. Psalms is also the book that Jesus quoted more than any other. And psalms, again, they weren't just like made just to be written and read. They're made to be sung, right? There's a poetry element to it. The book of psalms, and for historical purposes, helps like know the posture in which we should receive it. The book of psalms was collected together after the Israelites were exiled into Babylon and after Jerusalem was destroyed. So think about it this way. Psalms is a praise and a prayer book for exiles, In the middle of their exile, wondering how long, O Lord, will your promises come true? And as we wait today in our exile, I'm sure you felt that even a little bit this last week and all the craziness, right? This is not how it's meant to be. There's something I'm longing for. We should come to the book of Psalms. It helps put uh, God's perspective on our emotions. It's been said that Psalms, listen to this, Psalms are a teacher for our affections, a teacher for our emotions, a teacher for our hearts. In a book called The Cry of the Soul, the authors say that Psalms have a soul-exposing function. Isn't that beautiful? A soul-exposing function. And just even like looking at some of the looks on your faces right now, you love the book of Psalms just like I do, right? And we love it is because of the honesty, right? It's like, yes, it puts words to some of the things we feel and sometimes the things we even lack the words to express. Psalms is filled with desperate and raw prayers, right? As the psalmists are honest with God and honest with themselves. The book teaches us how to process and pray and express and sing the emotions of our souls. And then just real quick, like this is important, like framework stuff to have, category stuff. There's different types of psalms, but the most frequent type in all the 150 chapters are psalms of lament, which is again what we see here in Psalm 13. A Psalm of Lament. This guy named Derek Kidner, try to hear this in a cool Scottish accent, like Derek would say. I can't, I'm sorry, but Derek Kidner wrote an excellent commentary in the book of Psalms, and listen to how he puts it. The very presence of lament in Scripture is a witness to God's understanding. God knows how we speak when we are desperate. God knows how we speak when we are desperate. So look now at the desperate lament of Psalm 13 right in front of you. Just notice whether in like the subtitle that's not part of the canon, right? It wasn't inspired, but the heading above it or within the psalm, neither of those things say what the exact situation is here that David writes. And I want to offer to you, argue to you today that that's on purpose. It'd be easy to excuse this if you're like, oh yeah, that's what David was praying when fill in the blank. And it was from something real, right? But the reason it's not directly tied to it or why that's good news for us is it helps us be invited into our lamenting too, right? It's not to be foreign just to people who've lived before. So, oh yeah, that's true for David or Moses or Paul or Peter, but not for me, not at all. Lament is intended for all of God's people. Just look down at verses one and two. What's it say? How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I take counsel in my soul and have sorrow in my heart all the day? How long shall my enemy be exalted over me? Just notice there are four questions in two short verses, four questions that are just stacked, one on top of another. And they all underline what David's problem is. David's problem is, how long, O Lord? And then what's his first question? His first question is, has God forgotten me? Has God forgotten me? And then his second question, which is really closely related to our first, is is God hiding his face from me? Has God forgotten me? And has God hidden his face from me? And I bet as you like look at the text in front of you, just in verses one and two, a lot of us can relate to that, can't we? The times when it feels like, that God has forgotten you. The times when God feels distant, like maybe he's playing hide and seek from you, like he's hiding his face from you. And by saying face here, this carries with it the idea, David is saying like he wants a close, intimate relationship with God. He wants to feel God's presence, but he doesn't. He's saying that God is feeling distant to him. And thereby, that's implying that David is longing for the nearness of God. It's like David isn't experiencing the benediction that the priests would pray, right? Like in Numbers chapter 6, verses 24 and 26, the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. But in verse 1, that's not David's experience at all. David is feeling forgotten, lonely, exposed, vulnerable. He's being really honest with God right here, isn't he? This is King David. This is in God's word, delivered once for all time to the saints, written for our instruction today. And there's a tremendous amount of honesty here. David asking God, How long until you keep your promises to me? How long until I experience your presence again? And again, if we're being honest, and God's word calls us to be an honest kind of people, that's not an uncommon experience for a lot of us, is it? Those times where you cry out, or maybe you don't even have the strength to cry out, but like you feel it. How long, O Lord? Why don't I feel you? Why do I not sense your presence? And that has been the cry of God's people at so many times through the ages. Like, just think about all the Christians that have come before us in this 2,000 plus years. How many have prayed and cried the prayer of Psalm 13? How long, O Lord? Here's one way in which it comes to mind. During the evilness of ethnic slavery in our country, and during the injustice that followed of Jim Crow laws, our African and American brothers and sisters in Christ would sing this old spiritual. Listen to what they would sing and look down at Psalm 13 in front of you. They would cry out this. When the clouds hang heavy and it looks like rain, how long, O Lord? Will the sun's drawing water from every vein? How long, O Lord? About this time another year I may be gone, within some lonely graveyard. How long, O Lord? If I had prayed when I was young, how long, O Lord? Well I would not have had such a hard race to run. How long, O Lord? That captures the cry and the prayer of many of God's people through the centuries. Or fast forward to the end of your Bible, right? In Revelation chapter 6, verses 9 and 11, there are martyred saints around the throne room of God before King Jesus returns, and they're crying out, how long to? Revelation 6, verses 9 through 11 says this. Just just listen to their cry in the throne room of God. When he opened the fifth seal... I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the witness they had borne. They cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you will judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Then they were given a white robe and told to rest a little longer until the number of their fellow servants And their brothers should be complete, who were to be killed as they themselves had been. So the cry of how long, O Lord, is the cry of God's people. Now look down at verse 2 and just notice the progression of the how longs of David's lament here. In verse 2, we see David's question has a little more specificity to it now. In verse 2, it's how long must I take counsel in my soul? And if you're being honest again, and we say this often at GBC because we mean it, we want to be an honest kind of church, you've prayed or thought or felt similar things like that too, right? Because what do we do, if you're anything like me, what do you do when you're discouraged? Maybe even when you're feeling oppressed, when you feel God is distant from you, what do you do? Isn't our tendency to move back from God? rather than lean in towards God. And when you're feeling far from God, our tendency is to like be bent inward upon ourselves. That's what verse two is saying here. David is having to be his own counselor because he's that lonely and he feels that distant from God. But he's not being like a good gospel-centered counselor here. He's not preaching to himself like we see elsewhere in the Psalms. He's stuck in an echo chamber of loneliness, trying to be his own counselor as his prayers like, keep hitting the ceiling. That's what's happening here. He's having to be his own counselor. He's feeling like he's the only one who cares. He's feeling lonely and isolated from others and even lonely and isolated from God. Do like, you see how the Psalms like put language to the things a lot of us experience and feel as well. David here in Psalm 13 is in the deep grip and quicksand of spiritual depression, right? And he's sinking. And again, he's a lot like us. And David's not like all of us too. Can I just say that too? Like, not that like you go slay your giant and that's like you know, shoveling your driveway this last week. You go slay your giant, you shovel your driveway. That's not what I'm saying. David was also promised to be like the king of God's people to bring about God's covenant promises. And David's even doubting that as well here. He's struggling with it. God had promised to make him king and through him fulfill his covenant promises. But just look at what David's crying out here in verse 2. David's in such deep lament that he's even doubting God's covenant promises. Because if David's enemy exalted over him, how's God going to keep those promises, right? But in all of this, like picture David with me, as he's deeply lamenting here in verses 1 and 2, but in all of it, David is still talking with God. He's still taking his honest hurts and questions towards God. Faith is still operating in his heart. The directions of his lament are towards the Lord. Even in his hurting, his questioning, he's doubting. In other words, David is not deconstructing here in Psalm 13. Okay? He's being really honest with God. And God is welcoming his honesty. But that does not make him deconstruct because he knows he can trust God to take his laments to God. The direction of his lamenting, again, is towards God. So I hope you can see with me already here in verses 1 and 2, like this is not toxic positivity stuff, okay? It's real lament with real tears. And each of us have had or have right now or will have someday our own Psalm 13 kind of season 2. And young people, if you haven't had that yet, you will. And so you have to be preparing for that now. So I'm curious, maybe you can even ask each other this after service today. As We've been longing to be together. We missed each other last week. I'm so glad we're together today. Ask one another, what is your Psalm 13 right now? What have you just come out of that season of lament? What is your deep soul sadness? And how are you processing it with God and with one another as God's people? So this brings us to our second movement or progression today. Supplications. Look down at verses 3 and 4. What does David pray, and how does he pray it in his lamenting? Verse 3. Consider and answer me, O Lord my God. Light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. Lest my enemies say, I have prevailed over him. Lest my foes rejoice because I am shaken. So verses three and four, when you really press into it and think about it, it shows us there's often a deeper question behind our question of how long. The lament often behind our lament is not only being concerned with how long, but with how bad is it going to hurt until it's over, right? It's not just a question of like patience. It's a question of, I don't want to suffer. I don't want to hurt. And that's how honest... David is being here in Psalm 13. Because just think about it, like as God's people, we know, we trust that God is good and gracious and glorious and sovereign. We know that eventually God's going to come through, right? We know that. We see it over and over again in God's word. But our real honest concern is, what's between here and there? (laughs) And I don't want to feel the pain. I don't want to suffer. The question often behind our lament is, How much pain and loneliness am I going to have to experience? Am I going to have to endure? Right? I think we can all resonate with this here. So that's what David is doing here. Like when he cries out, just look down. I, I want you to see this in the pages of Scripture. When he cries out, light up my eyes, lest I sleep the sleep of death. He's scared of death, of suffering. And again, we really get the sense here David is sinking. Like, he's not just saying this because he knows he's supposed to say it. Like, this is from a deep place inside of him that he's giving voice to here. Again, times like probably for a lot of us, maybe when you've been so discouraged, so depressed, that maybe someone's come to you and said, like, hey, are you doing okay? I've had some of you in this room do that with me over the years as a member of GBC. When the light in your eye is dulled and someone's like, are you doing okay? That's what David is praying right here, right? His eyes are even being affected with his lamenting here. He's praying his eyes need to be relit up because they're not. That's how much that he's hurting here. And again, when David is praying this here, notice how he's praying. He is calling out, he is praying God's covenant name. He's saying, Lord, Yahweh, light up my eyes breathe life back into my soul bring healing to the places of deep suffering in my heart and verse 4 david is afraid like a real kind of afraid king david is afraid he's afraid his enemies are going to prevail over him and rejoice because he is shaken so david is truly wondering and feeling how are God's purposes going to prevail here? How is God going to be glorified? I want to like share with you real briefly a window to see Psalm 13. David is kind of praying, like, is my life meaningless? Yeah, God, you've made all these promises. I trust them. But how is this ever going to come to completion? Am I just going to fade away into the mist of history? Do I matter to you? you know what's amazing, like how God answers his deep prayer here? We're being ministered to by Psalm 13 right here in this moment. Like God answered his prayer in a way he even didn't understand it. Not only for himself, but for God's people. God's amazing, and we can trust him in that kind of way. Psalm 13 is in our Bibles. It's written for our instruction because God uses our laments to strengthen us, to advance his purposes, and to glorify his name, even when all you can come up with is ache and pain and loneliness and maybe even doubting. Like the cry behind it is, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And he does, and he will. In all of this, I wanted to draw out real quick like an important application for us today so as I mentioned briefly, and maybe even for some of you this is true, maybe again in your like own life or in your family of origin or a different church experience, you had maybe like deep emotions were glossed over. Or, uh, that's not how we handle things here. We put on a smile, and we don't talk about things that are hard or that hurt us, right? If that's you, like, has that helped you in life? I bet not, right? Okay, so Psalm 13 is saying that's not the way of following Jesus, okay? Because that's going to shape you in really unhealthy ways because of who God is. We can and should be honest with God and with one another and with ourselves. A way that you can identify if maybe you're not honest about your emotions with yourself or with other people, is how often do you apologize for your tears? Do you ever do that? Like if you're hanging out with another member of GBC and you're sharing something hard and you like start crying, do you apologize? And I'd even say this, do you apologize to God for your tears? If so, you need to be lovingly encouraged and corrected by Psalm 13. God wants our tears and we need our tears with one another because if you're not honest about your emotions, it's gonna exhaust you at some point. Because again, God is good and gracious and glorious enough to process our tears with us. And as God's people, we can process our tears with one another. So one ditch we can fall into, right? We don't express our emotions. Or what do pendulums do? The pendulums like go here and they just stop in the middle? They don't, they go all the way on the other side, right? What's the other ditch that we can fall into? And this is where I wanna lovingly draw out an application and implication that Psalm 13 points us to right now. What is like the God we're to bow to right now in our culture? Isn't it that your feelings are king? Your feelings are truth, and how dare you push back against what I feel? Your feelings are to be obeyed, and no one is to question that, right? So our feelings, we can ignore them and stuff them, but the pendulum can go over here and then we enthrone them and they become sign of become some kind of God in us and in the culture around us. Psalm 13, though, shows us what's David doing with his emotions. He's taking them to God. His emotions are bowing their knee to God. He's not bowing his knee to his emotions. So we're not meant to enthrone our emotions either. We're to lament with God. One author said it like this. I hope this like strengthens you as it has me. Listen to this quote. Your emotions are the lights on the dashboard. They're telling you something important. They are the cries of your heart, the language of the soul. And so sing your emotions. Don't enthrone them. Don't suppress them, but sing them pray them to God honestly from your heart. Pray them before the face of God. Isn't that beautiful? And as we're honest with God, what happens here, what we're going to see here in a minute, that's when we start to experience the deep change that we're longing for. If you're not honest with God, honest with yourself, and honest with other people, don't be surprised if you feel stuck all the time right? If you want to experience a change you're longing for, you have to be honest with God. You have to lament and press into being honest with God. And why I can say that is the progression, the movement of our text that brings us into verses five and six, our third and final emphasis, declaration. Just look with me down at the Bible in front of you at verses five and six. What does David declare here? But I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. So we've seen the honest questions and emotions so far in verses 1 through 4. Now here in verses 5 through 6, we see what the most important part of distinctly Christian lamenting is. It's the start of verse 5. But... I have trusted in your steadfast love. You move outside of being your own counselor, in the loneliness of your heart, in the temptation to deconstruct away from God, and you trust in God's heart, in his good intention for you, in his steadfast love. And again, David has been really honest about about his emotions, but he doesn't enthrone them, does he? He's moving into verses 5 through 6. And what does David trust in? It's not some loose, like, wish fulfillment type, empty mumbo-jumbo. What does he trust in? It's not just like the power of positive thinking. Not at all. Psalm 13 rebukes that. What does David trust in? God's character name. God's steadfast love. His faithful love. Because that's who God is. We have God's word on it. Like, I wonder if David had to have Exodus on his mind. You can't get away from Exodus. In Exodus chapter 34, the Lord proclaims his own name to Moses. God says, like, here's my resume, Moses. Here's my CV. And what's his resume? It's that God is steadfast love and faithfulness. That's who God is. We have God's word on it himself. That's what David is lamenting towards and trusting in. That's where he's planting his tears in God's steadfast love. In verse 5, David trusts in God's character and his promises. David is like pointing the compass of his heart to God's steadfast love and to God's salvation. And notice what happens, what happens in this process of lamenting as David starts to do that, right? Like, can you feel what's happening here in Psalm 13? David starts to, like, feel a little bit of confidence from God again, doesn't he? Like the sun starts to set more and more into his heart. The rays, the warmth of God's love start to inform and shine their light into his life again. He's convinced about something. And then the light begins to return to his eyes. He's recalling that God was faithful in the past. And he's convinced that God is going to be faithful now and will be going forward too. So the evidence, the movement, the progression of David's lamenting is I have trusted in God's steadfast love, I've trusted in God's salvation. So therefore, I can sing because God has dealt bountifully with me. Like, just think about that. Think about where we've just been in verses 1 through 4, the deep hurt that David is lamenting with God. And then David's saying he's going to start to sing. Like, he's either crazy or God did something inside of him here. And and it's amazing to consider. He's going to sing because of God's steadfast love and his salvation even before he's rescued, even before he experiences the relief of his problem of how long, he's still going to sing. He's going to praise God even in the waiting. And again, we can't miss it. I want you to notice and like, don't just miss it. Notice the tense of verse 6 here. Because he has dealt bountifully with me. What tense is that? Someday he's going to deal with bountifully with me. It's not, is it? It's past tense. He's looking in the rearview mirror. God has dealt bountifully with me before, and I know he will be again. And if David can say that, back in the Old Testament, how much more can we now as God's people on this side of the cross? If God dealt bountifully with David before Jesus came, and he was longing for that day, now we look back on the cross and the empty tomb, how much more can we say, God has dealt bountifully with me? Because think about it. When you read Psalm 13, like you should hear Jesus. Psalm 13 is pretty much what Jesus prayed on the cross, didn't he? Jesus felt forsaken by his Father on the cross. Jesus felt he had lost his Father's face. And why? In order to welcome us in to pay the just penalty each of us deserve for our sins. So when the reality of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished, when that's applied to your heart, it gives you a foundation for your laments that is sure and satisfying. And we see the same logic, I hope some of you are already thinking about it right now, we see the same logic that's happening here in Psalm 13 in Romans chapter 8. Like the mountaintop, chapter of the Bible, we see the same logic and argument happening. Christian, where has God dealt most bountifully with you? At the cross, right? Where has he dealt with you in the most holy, just, gracious, kind, and true way? At the cross of Jesus Christ, where Jesus took the just penalty for sin you rightly deserve, And then he gives you his life in his place. Like, hasn't Jesus dealt bountifully with us? Romans 8, 31 and 32, some of the most important, life-giving, and glorious verses in all of the Bible say this. It's the same logic as what's happening in Psalm 13. Romans 8, 31 and 32. This will be our benediction here in a few minutes. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Christian, God's current and future grace to you is guaranteed by Jesus being given up for you. That's how God's economy works. That should inform and fuel our lamenting. So this means God's goodness, Him dealing bountifully with you, isn't more or less true based on how you're feeling right now. It's not more or less true because of your circumstances. And because of this, we can trust God with our lament. Like that God has dealt bountifully with you is true for you whether you lost power or not this last week. And I'm not saying that flippantly, like I really mean that, okay? God dealing bountifully for you is true whether if you had like five inches of ice on your house and car in Troutdale or whether you're like on a beach in Mexico, okay? It's true for you either way. Gresham Bible Church, as we enter into an election year, and all the craziness that is gonna entail, and forces trying to get you to think this way or that way, and being polarized, and seeing other people as the other and the enemy, that's not the way of God's people. No matter how the election turns out, no matter how you want it to turn out, God has dealt bountifully with you. That does not rise or fall or change on the base of an election in our country. Can I get an amen? amen? Amen, okay. Regardless of your health, regardless of your doubts, of your real losses, your real grief, your hurts, your pains. Jesus is the proof that you can trust the goodness of God because Jesus proves God has dealt bountifully with you. And if you're here today and you're not a Christian, like maybe you thought, why are there a bunch of people at Hollyview at 2 p.m.? I should go check that out. I'm tired of being stuck at home. I'm glad you're here if you haven't trusted in Jesus yet, okay? Okay. And I wonder like, what you think about all of this. And I would lovingly challenge you, take the idea of lament and take it to its logical end. What are you doing with your laments? And how is it working for you? Do you see how, in light of Psalm 13, how your disappointments, your hurts, even your doubts, how they're meant to point you somewhere? And not just somewhere but to someone to jesus christ the ultimate expression of god dealing bountifully with us the ultimate proof of god's steadfast love so if that's you today and you haven't trusted in jesus yet again we're really glad you're here i would lovingly encourage you to confess and repent of your sins and entrust your life to jesus christ the only one who's going to bring you the real deep healing. For your laments. Because that's what all your laments are pointing you towards. Alright, as we close, I want to leave you with this. Like this can feel like top shelf kind of theoretical stuff. I want you to know how this lives and how it can and should live in God's people and even in us now. Because the dynamics and the truth and the beauty and the glory of Psalm 13 is for us right now, okay? There was this guy named Alan Gardner. He was an English missionary. He ended up being a, a missionary pioneer, and he's on his way with a small team, like a five or seven people, on his way to a remote island off of South America. They end up getting shipwrecked on this island literally in the middle of nowhere a long time ago. Okay, So Gardner and his small team, they tried to survive on this island as they waited to be rescued. Like, this isn't the show alive kind of stuff, okay? Like, they don't make a call. They are on a remote island. They're shipwrecked. They're trying to survive, and they're starving. Talk about a time when you'd feel alone, abandoned, and afraid. And here's why I'm telling you this story. The bodies of Gardner and his team were finally discovered a few months later by a rescue team. They found the remains of our brother in Christ, Alan Gardner, and his personal, his personal like journal was underneath his dead body. Do you know what he did in the last moments of his life, like when he still had energy to write? As he's starving to death, shipwrecked on a remote island. The last entry in his journal were these final words. I am overwhelmed with a sense of the goodness of God. Overwhelmed by the goodness of God as he's starving to death, alone, abandoned, probably afraid. Overwhelmed by the goodness of God. Because of Jesus, that is the lament of God's people. Overwhelmed by the goodness of God. As God's people, we lament because God's goodness is more true and more beautiful than our current pains, our current suffering, our current circumstances. And just think, as God's people, we won't always cry out how long. Your laments, my laments, our laments have an expiration date because someday everything sad is going to come untrue. Someday, when King Jesus returns we won't sing the song of lament anymore. Because when Jesus returns and brings us into the new heavens and the new earth, we will only know know joy everlasting with him. Right? But until that day, as we live between two worlds, we lament with God as we plant our real tears in the real gospel. Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Father, we praise you for your steadfast love. We praise you that you have dealt bountifully with us. And the cross of Jesus Christ is the proof. We didn't earn or merit you dealing bountifully with us. All that we bring is our sin. And so, Lord, we thank you for your great grace. We thank you for forgiveness. We thank you for your patience with us. We thank you that you are for us and not against us, that you really do work all things together for good to those who love you, to those who have been called according to your purpose. And Jesus is the proof. So, Father, we confess and repent today of those places of unbelief in our heart, even those places, Lord, that we're afraid to step into the light of lament with you and with ourselves and with other people. I pray that Gresham Bible Church will be a people, Lord, who are marked by Christian lament in a way that glorifies you and advances your gospel in and through your people. May we trust you more and more, trust and delight in your steadfast love and rejoice in your salvation. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.